coming up on the Men at the Movies podcast, we begin week one of our three-part Who Am I series with Ford versus Ferrari. We discover that we were rescued for a reason. There's a vast difference between living a 6,000 RPM life of safety and security and pushing your life to 7,000 RPM with risk and adventure. And we must go through our initiation so that when life does push our limits, we don't soil ourselves. Start your engines and let's go after that perfect lap. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story. The story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. There's a point, 7,000 RPM, where everything fades. The machine becomes weightless, just disappears. And all that's left is a body moving through space and time. 7,000 RPM, that's where you meet it. You feel it coming, creeps up on you close in your ear. Ask you a question, the only question that matters. Who are you? Welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald, and joining me from Atlanta in the summertime heat is Britt Mooney. Hey, man, how are you doing these days? I'm doing well, and you called it summertime heat. Oh, my God, it was hot today. It was like 94 or some crap, and it's humid, and the humidity. And it ain't going anywhere. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, so I'm doing great. My, my weather app is basically the same. Mid nineties for a high, like upper seventies for a low. Rinse and repeat because you're gonna need a shower like fifteen times if you live in the southeast these days. Oh man, but I'm doing great. Much more encouraged uh, than than last week. But yeah, we got some good news about people getting out of Afghanistan, and so yeah. continue to pray for them. This is gonna air. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, I think this is probably almost a month from now. So, but hey, it's good news. And hopefully by the time this airs, we'll be starting to enjoy a break of the heat and getting back down into the 70s and able to go outside without immediately, I would say combusting into flames, but it's the opposite of that. It's drowning in sweat. (laughs) Yeah, it's. Absolutely. Now, when you say 70s, are you talking about disco and like rollerblading and stuff like, like roller skates? Oh, not that 70s. Oh, you no, mean like the, the temperature? The temperature, oh, I yeah. I think uh, right around 70 is about what I consider a perfect daytime high. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you can tell from the title of the podcast, we're talking about Ford versus Ferrari today. And it took me about five times before I realized where the two R's in Ferrari go. It's <laughs> it's the first set. There's two R's and then one R. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love that opening statement, uh, which is actually Matt Damon narrated at the end. But as he's talking about going 7,000 RPM, 
the pace of that narration, the pace of that quote is the exact opposite. It's more like seven. <laughs> it's nice. It's slow. In in we're going to talk about this a little bit about how to respond when the engine is racing, when it is going seven thousand, and how everything does slow down. But how we can navigate through that because it's in those moments that the the big question comes: is who are you? But I'm jumping ahead of myself. So a couple of weeks ago. I said, Britt, what, what movies do we want to do? And I gave you a list. I can't remember what was on it. Oh, no, we, we did. Uh, we had <laughs> when we watched the Suicide Squad, we said, OK, what are we going to have as a backup if we can't get anything out of this? <laughs> and I said, what about we bought a zoo and uh, or Ford versus Ferrari? And you said those sound good and you liked them. And I've never I had never seen them. Ah. You know, I, that probably makes me turn in my movie watcher talk about movie guy card of you haven't seen that. Sorry. And I haven't seen field of dreams either. So no, <laughs> you haven't seen field of dreams. Yeah, no. Wow. <laughs> what a great movie. Yeah. I'm disqualified to do this podcast. Damn, okay. All right. That's it. We're shutting it down. No, I, both of those are great movies. Uh, you might be forgiven for, we bought a zoo. That's a little bit of a, you know, it was a little yeah, more. I got obscure. some surprised looks when I said we did that, but yeah. It's probably, and apparently we're doing, this is a uh, Matt Damon marathon it that is we're a- doing <laughs> back to back. We're recording them. They're not going to publish in the same order, but so Brit, instead of why do we pick this movie? Cause it's just sort of, Hey, let's do that one. We're like, okay. Why do you love this movie? Well, you know, for me, and I've said this, I said this last episode as well. I'm a sucker for dreamer movies. I'm a sucker for those things. I'm a sucker for someone has a dream. The Kermit the Frog clip. <laughs> the lovers, the dreamers, oh. and me. I had that record when I was a kid. <laughs> and I think the B-side was, it's not easy being green. Um, uh, so <laughs> I'm a sucker for those movies. I'm a sucker for... A, a dreamer movie, someone who thinks outside the box, someone who has to go through a lot of resistance and obstacles to achieve a dream and be excellent at something. Because like I said before, I believe we are born again to live that. We're, we're actually born again to live that story mm. in our own way, in our own context, with our own gifts and talents, that's the story we were meant to live. That's story two, you know, as we talked about with on the last episode, that that's the story we were meant to live. And, and Ford versus Ferrari is, is a story and it's a true life story. It's another true life story. Not only is it another Matt Damon movie, it's <laughs> another uh, true life story based on where this actually happens and how these men deal with all of these obstacles and, and their own flaws. Uh, and I think this movie is extremely well-written and Matt Damon and uh, Christian Bale are just, they're both amazing actors. Yeah. And so, and, and the other guys in it too. I mean, you know, we talked about who guy who played Lee Iacocca, uh, John Byrne, Bernthal, uh, you know, he's a great actor and the guy who played, the antagonist BB or whatever his name is like, it's, it's well, he's always the smarmy executive and <laughs> right. It's well produced. It's well put together. And 
I don't think a lot of people realize how, realize how hard it is to make a good movie. Like there are so many opportunities to screw it up from writing to directing, to casting, to editing, to music, to like for everything to work. And that's another reason why I love this movie is because uh, he talks about that, that aspect of what are you striving for? He's striving for something yeah. in life uh, that goes beyond just winning or making money. Uh, and and, I, and I, all of those elements that are in this movie, I just love. And, and I think there's going to be some great sort of principles and insights that we're going to pull out of it today. Well, and if you have a movie that starts with that question, the question that matters more than anything, and it's the question of who are you, well, that instantly takes it into, well, okay, now I'm interested. Right. And when you were you were just talking, I wrote this down, this idea that we were rescued for a reason. Mm-hmm. Good. We weren't, we weren't redeemed. We weren't born again so that we can sit on our laurels and wait to go to heaven. There's work for us to do and not just work for the sake of work. Right. And I'm going to play a clip that Shelby, uh, who's Matt Damon's character, Shelby, he's an auto, he was a race car driver. He was a driver. He won, he was the first American to win the 24 hour race at Le Mans. But because of a heart condition, he ended up stepping out of the car, but became an auto designer. And so they brought him in. And as they're announcing, we're going to try to make Ford into a car, he talks about the thing. I think that he's rescued to do. When I was 10 years old, Pop said to me, son, it's a truly lucky man who knows what he wants to do in this world because that man will never work a day in his life. But there are a few, a precious few, and hell, I don't know if they're lucky or not, but there are a few people who find something they have to do. Some obsesses them. Some, if they can't do it, it's going to drive them clean out of their mind. I'm that guy, and I know one other man feels exactly the same. And I love that idea about something that we have to do. We, I think Jeremiah put it as a, as a fire in his bones mm. that he can't not do it. He can't, he doesn't want to do it, but he, because of the pain and the struggle that's involved, but he's like, I can't not do this. And he's got to go do it and see it through to the end. Yeah. The, the apostle Paul says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. He's like, there's a problem if I'm not doing this. Like, you can think I'm doing this for any reason that you, you think, but I don't have a choice here. Like, this is what I have to do. And, you know, you talked about we were rescued for a reason and not to sit on our laurels. And, you know, what happens to the guy who buried the talent that he had? What happened right. to that guy? Like, and it seems harsh, but it's because that's not the nature of what we were given. We were given this awesome life in Christ and Christ in us to share it somehow and in some way. And that's what I mean about we were born again to live this sort of life. And one of the tensions through this movie is that 6,000 versus 7,000 RPM tension, right? He knows, Shelby knows, because he's had the experience that when you get to 7,000, it's a different experience. But the antagonist keeps trying to limit them at six. Yeah. And that's the world we live in. That's the world <laughs> we live in. We live in a world where some part of us knows, man, just, just beyond the edge, 
is freedom. Just beyond the edge is that life of risk and faith that we've been called to live. But the world's like, no, 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 no. I mean, just hold it back. Hold it back to 6,000. Hold, and, and then they get mad when we go beyond whatever boundaries that they set. And, and, and people are threatened by that, right? They're, they're right. threatened by the guy who's, who kind of goes beyond or the, or woman, like they're threatened by those people because they live in this world where you, you can't go beyond 6,000. You can't go beyond that mark. And yet when people do, they realize that's when I know who I really am. And Shelby had to give up racing, mm-hmm. but he still knew that he had to live in a place of risk. He still was seeking that. And then when that was, so when that, when Lee Iacocca shows up and gives him that opportunity, he jumps on it because he, even though he knows it's impossible, it's close to impossible. He knows it's a crazy idea. He's willing to jump on it because he's like, look, I know what it's going to take and it's going to take something money can't buy, but money can buy the guy who can maybe get it done. Like he knows, like he knows what it's going to take. And so that's the tension throughout the movie. One of the tensions through the movie is Ken and Shelby, the two main characters, they know that if you, if you're going to get to that place where you know who you really are, you have to push it. And this is what the Bible says. Uh, James says, rejoice when you are faced with trials what do you mean rejoice? Like that sounds, that's the opposite of what I want to do when life pisses me off. Is that the opposite thing is to be what happy What I want to do it. is bitch and complain <laughs> about the suffering right. I'm going through. Right. <laughs> and I, and I often do, uh, but, but James says, because it's in that place, your strength, your strength is tested. You will be made complete in your faith. Because it's in that place where you'll find out what's real. And you, you don't find out what's real when everything's going well. Right. You find out what's real, like David worshiping when everything was going wrong and he decides, I'm going to worship anyway. Uh, that's when you find out what you really believe and who you really are. And that's just a beautiful part of that movie. And that's what James says is it's like a refiner's fire. Yeah. Well, we have to be heated up enough because we're gold. But the gold has to be heated up enough so that the impurities, Good. which don't melt as hot, drop out. They can be cleaned out. And so, unfortunately, it takes some heat, <laughs> right? As you mentioned, those high RPMs. And sometimes the stuff of life, it takes you out. So now we're going to flip over to the other sort of, like you mentioned, the main character, uh, Christian Bale. He's not doing his Batman voice in this movie. Nope. He's doing his Bert from Mary Poppins voice in this movie. <laughs> but he's a race car driver. He knows cars. He was a warrior. He was in the in World War II because this movie happens in the 60s. And he drove tanks in World War II. And now he's fixing cars and he knows them intimately, knows how to drive them, knows what's wrong with them in, in a very sort of the genius sort of way of, oh, he drives a a lap around the track and he knows innately, well, this is what's wrong with it. This is why this car sucks. (laughs) But because of the stuff going on with the IRS and paying the bills in survival mode, he says he, he gets to this point where he throws all of his racing trophies in the trash and he says, my time doing that is, is over. 
You don't have to give up racing to get a bloody day job, Ken. I think I do. No, I've had my fun. It's time to put food on the table and grow up. The garage didn't pay the bills. Now it's locked up. Racing doesn't pay them either. And I keep winning. Yeah, because you're good. But I can't play the game. I'm not what they call a people person. You right? don't say. But I'm 45 years old. Do you really think I'm going to change? I'm never going to get the good rise. I started too late. Because you fought in the bloody war. If you stop, you'd be bloody insufferable. It's quick going round the reeking. It's over. Let's look on the bright side. Now I can get fat and old, trim the roses and eat pork pies. And in the movie, his son goes and throws himself on the bed because he know he that's what made his heart come alive yep. was watching his dad race, being on the track with his dad. But so many of us have said those things. Yep. It's time for me to grow up. Yep. Stop dreaming. It's never going to happen. It's too late. I'm too old. My time is past and I just need to put food on the table. Yeah. His wife says something really important in that scene. She says, if you give this up, you'll be miserable to live with. (laughs) And, and that is the woman every man wants. That is the woman that every man wants. And it, it, maybe it's a dream. <laughs> I, I say that because I, I do have a woman like that. Yeah. I think you do too. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know it's possible. Those women are rare. And, you know, what is it? Song of Solomon where he says, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Those mm-hmm. are the moments when I know that this is my partner in life is the one who goes, no, you, this is what, this is who you are. And when she calls out who I am, here's what my wife did. Are you ready? Yeah. I don't know how rare this is. No, 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 wait, I'm not ready. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now I'm ready. Now I'm ready. <laughs> so before we got married, she gave me a piece of paper and she said, I want you to write down what you want to do with your life. I want you to write down your biggest dreams. I don't care what it is. And I wrote, and I wrote down some things and she said, all right, it's, it's now my job to help you accomplish those things. Again, I was a teacher at the time, (laughs) like none of that, none of what I wrote down had to do with teaching. It all had to do with writing novels, uh, making music, uh, being creative. Like that's what I wrote down. And she said, now it's my job to help me do that. That's what I'm going to do. And I never loved her more than I did in that moment. And she's been faithful to that. Now it hasn't always been easy. Right. And there have been, been times when I've had to, okay, I got to get another job. I got to, you know, we got to pay bills. You mean it's I mean, not a linear straight path not, from, from where you are to where your dreams are. But she, it's, <laughs> no, but she has never asked me to give up those things. And again, like if I just quit my job and we're not paying bills, like she's like, okay, well you got to find some margin to like make some money while you're right. chasing these dreams. But that's the kind of woman that, that men fall in love with. And, and there are some pivotal scenes I'm going to spit in the microphone again. Um, there's some pivotal scenes with it's times like this. I'm glad we're separated by a computer screen. <laughs> um, there are some pivotal scenes with his wife, Molly, that I, I think are really important because obviously men wrote this movie and it shows 
what men are looking for, what really makes their heart come alive with, with a life partner like that is she's able to, she's arguing with them. Like you're good at this. Cause he just won. Like he, right. he won the the race, even after he throws the wrench at the dude at Shelby, he wins the race and comes back to the IRS closing everything down. And, and, and he's trying, he's making the argument, look, I got to grow up. And, and you're right. A lot of us feel that way, but I also love how his son goes and gets those trophies out of the trash and puts yeah. them under his bed, because you're right. That also tells us something really important that boys and children, they want to see us chase our dreams. They need to mm. see us chase our dreams. And I said this when my wife went back to work and I said, we're going to do whatever it takes for you to go back to work and chase your dream. Because she gave up being a teacher, which was her gift for years to stay home while the kids were little. That's what she chose. And then when the kids are all back in school and she had this amazing opportunity to go back and it was like, what is God doing? Like, why is he opening this door? And I said, baby, he is letting you live your dream again. And I said, I want you to live your dream because I want my daughters to see you live a dream. I want my daughters to see that that's, that's who we are as people. Not just that I live my dream, but you live your dream too. And we get to use our gifts. So I love that part with where the kid, he doesn't, he's not ready to let it go. And he's, <laughs> and he's going to pull it out of the trash. And uh, it's just, it's, it's a beautiful little moment. So well-written. I mean, like we just spent more time talking about it than it took for the scene to happen. Like that's right. good. That's good writing. Uh, and so uh, I, I love that scene. The pursuing of dreams is reciprocal. Yes. Cause it can't be all about the dreams that you wrote down no. because your wife also has dreams. My wife has dreams. Right. And equally our roles are to help them achieve them as well. Yep. And sometimes in the moment, those dreams are, I want to be present with my kids and stay at home and give up the career because this matters more. That's right. And it's about honoring that desire, honoring your partner. There's a certain degree of trust that is necessary. She trusts that you will have her back and you trust that she'll have your back. Yeah. Because there's times that you're going to step out and it's going to not look great. Right. So what happens in the movie, he does, he works at a shop and he's making money and putting food on the table. And that's probably about it. His heart's dead, not really in it. And Shelby shows up after, well, before the speech that he did already, but he shows up and says, Hey man, Lee Iacocca showed up Ford wants, <laughs> Ford wants me to uh, build a car that's going to compete at the race in Le Mans. And as with just about anybody that you meet, you have to be, you do have to be careful with your dreams, especially early on, because if you share them, somebody's going to blow them out. And in this, this scene between uh, Ken and Shelby, they're meeting and Ken tries to sort of blow out Shelby's dreams and tell him all the ways that it's not going to work. You're going to build a car to beat old man Ferrari yeah. with Ford with a Ford. Correct. And how long did you tell them that you needed? Two, three hundred years? Ninety days. <laughs> All right, so let's just look at this for a moment. And f for argument's sake, let's just forget about the whole 90 day 
thing. All right, so let's just pretend you've got all the money in the world and all the time in the world. I like the sound of that. All right. So you think that Ford are going to let you build the car that you want the way you want it, the Ford Motor Company? Those guys. Have you ever been to Detroit? I mean, they have floors and floors of lawyers and millions of marketing guys, and they're all going to want to meet you. Oh, they're going to want to get their photo taken with the great Carol Shelby, and they're going to kiss your ass, and they're going to go back to their lovely offices, and they're going to work out new ways to screw you. Why? Because they can't help it, because they just want to please their boss, who wants to please his boss, who wants to please his boss. And they hate themselves for it. But deep down, who they hate even more are guys like you because you're not like them, because you don't think like them, because you're different. Ah, uh, it's the theme of the movie, man. It's the theme of the movie, and it's and it's the theme of what it means to live as as Christ in the world. That's the theme of what it means to live as Christ in the world. Is is people people hate themselves for it, but this is life, and this is safety, and this is six thousand RPMs, and this is what we got to do. This is all they know. This is all we know. But but remember, the beginning of the movie. The movie starts out with with Ford Junior or Ford the second, the Deuce. I love the, the keep Deuce. Calling, <laughs> I keep calling him the Deuce. But where Ford shuts down the factory, and he says, "You need to walk home." And if you don't have a good idea, stay home. Like he's done doing things like they've been doing it. And Lee Iacocca, who has been a failure for marketing up until this point, they kind of point that out. He's been a failure. Yeah. He comes with this idea. He's like, what if the Ford Ford badge meant victory to the world? What if that, what if we, we have to think differently? Well, and, and I just want to hit this yeah. real quick because what it meant to that moment was reliability. Right. Which isn't necessarily bad, but certainly not exciting. Well, and he, he was like, if you want to change this company, we have to change the way we think. And see, people don't get this. And I said this a, a few episodes ago, that if you want yeah. a different story, you're going to have to make different decisions. But if you want to make different decisions, you have to change the way you think. You have to change your thinking. <laughs> it made me think of that uh, Seinfeld episode where uh, George goes opposite. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to do, I'm going to look at when I would do something, I'm going to change what I order. <laughs> That's my favorite. Everything I <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> and he like becomes like super successful and becomes not George. And then and all something these hot happens. Women and love him and, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. Like at, at some point, it's like, we're not going to have new ideas doing the same thing we've always done. And that's what Lee Iacocca is trying to do. And that's what he's pushing for. And so then he reaches out to this guy. And, and I love that part of that scene where he says, but they hate themselves, but you know who they hate more is the guy who doesn't think like them or the yeah. person who doesn't think that they, they do hate themselves, but they're going to do everything they can to protect their little kingdom. Because they hate the guy or the person who threatens it all with a, a different idea, with a creative idea, with something different that's going to disrupt their little world. And that's the tension of the whole movie, because that's who the antagonist is, BB, in corporate form. That's who yeah. he is trying to manage, manage it and committeeize it instead of letting it be something of risk and mystery and excellence instead of letting it be that 
uh, he's resistant to it. And, and so I, I love that part where he's like, that's who they hate more. And, and, and I think it's the, and that's what we have to remember too. When we, when we're living those lives of faith, some people, even in the church are going to look at you and go, what? Um, but they did the same thing to Jesus, man. They did the same thing to Paul. They did the same thing. What do you mean you're going to Jerusalem? We're going to die there. (laughs) Right. Get behind me. Get behind me. (laughs) Uh, There's something else happening here. There's something bigger. And and we were listening to a different voice than those voices. And and that's why these movies really matter to me because I need to be reminded of these things. Me, I do. I need to be reminded if I'm going to live this different life, I have to think differently and I have to be prepared for the resistance that's going to happen. And and I love those struggles as it goes through the movie. Ken is not criticizing Shelby in this moment. Right. He's connecting because he says, I know you. We are two like-hearted men sitting here. We want the same thing with the deepest desires of our heart. Like we would love to build, design a car that would win the race. They're not going to let us. So as, as Jesus says, you must be cunning as serpents, but innocent as doves. And I love how throughout the movie, you see that little bit of tweaking and twisting a little bit of, of working. Uh, Shelby's character works some chaos into the other team, you know, whether it's taking their stopwatches or dropping a lug nut to make them think they forgot to bolt on the tires or even the whole thing where they switched out the brakes that they thought were against the rules and, He's pushing the envelope of what's allowed so that he, and even in the big scene where he locks BB in the office <laughs> so that he can talk to Ford to show him, Hey, you, this isn't the driver isn't a plug and play part. It's not like changing tires or replacing a gasket. The driver has to know the car intimately. And as he takes uh, Henry Ford, the deuce, by the way, that was his actual nickname. Yeah. I read a, a couple articles about the veracity of this movie and the deuce is accurate in, in what they called him. So he takes him out in a car and he gets in and Shelby's like, you ready? He's like, my name's on the steering wheel there. You know, I'm ready. And then he takes him and he's crying and he's screaming about the time BB comes out of the office uh, as, as they're peeling through the, the racetrack. It's about right now the uninitiated have a tendency to soil themselves. Because that's our response when, I think when we're face-to-face with what we're about to do is, you, like we talk frequently, we have a choice, sort of. We can soil ourselves <laughs> because the ride will get fast as he says, the uninitiated. Yeah. And we talk a lot about our initiation and what it takes because when you do get going 7,000 RPM, when that motor is running high, when life is going crazy, you know, we may not actually soil yourself, but you sort of internally want to (laughs) because, well, I don't know where my paycheck's coming from, or I didn't know my daughter was going to get pregnant, or I didn't know my son was going to fail out of college or whatever, you know, I wasn't ready for my parents to die. Mm. I wasn't ready to lose my job or to get a divorce or pick crappy stuff that happens. If we are going in that uninitiated, 
emotionally, soulfully, we do shit ourselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, there, there's two parts of that scene that I, I love. Well, I love the whole thing because it's a show don't tell moment. And I, I don't know if that event itself actually happened, but it's great. It, that is, uh, that is one of the things that did not I'm probably they, right. There was no proof. Yeah. Uh, but it's a great writing moment because it's a show don't tell moment. It, he literally decides I'm going to show him what it's like. I'm going to show him because again, Shelby can't race because of his heart, but he's been there. So he knows what it's like. He knows what he's asking Ken to do. And that is so important with leadership. You cannot lead people to a place you have not been. Yeah. You can't do it. It's impossible, which is why we have to give people Jesus because Jesus has been to heaven and, you know, he's, he, he's there. Like there's nothing we've gone through that he doesn't know about. Exactly. But what I love about what that actor did, I don't know who played Ford the second, I don't know who played the deuce, but his ability to show terror and joy simultaneously was genius. Like his ability to do that. I don't know if he, I don't know how many times he had to try as an actor because when he stops and he's weeping, he's not weeping just because he's scared. He's also weeping because of the joy he felt like he didn't know it was going to be like that. He didn't know the extreme simultaneous feeling of terror and joy. It was going to, it was going to bring up in him. And I love the first line. He, he said, I wish my father could have yeah. done that. And I love that moment because that's joy. And that's what happens when God takes us on these journeys. They are scary. Like we would not have chosen to do this. You know, just like the children of Israel would not have chosen to be stuck between the Red Sea and the army of Egypt. They would not have chosen that, but it's scary. And it, and it exposes who we really are and exposes the truth of what's real. But it's also full of joy. Can you imagine the joy of the Red Sea parting? And then like, so there's joy, there's terror. There's, this is the life of mystery and miracle we were meant to live. And he shows him that. And I just, I love that. And where he says, look, like you're saying, it's not a plug and play thing. We need the right driver. And you, you've already said once, you've already made me fire the guy. And now you're going to try to do it again. That's what was happening in the movie. Uh, and we probably need to go back and share that, that other clip because initially they decide that Ken miles can't drive. Like he's not going to be their driver. And I love, I don't love what he said, but I love the, the tension there because the, the reason is miles isn't a Ford man. We have to put a Ford driver in a Ford car and do it the Ford way. And yet the whole tension of the movie is to think differently. That's the whole tension of the movie. That's what it starts out with. That was the whole goal was to think differently. And they keep trying to pull it back. And so they end up going without to Le Mans. They go to Le Mans first without yep. Ken and fail miserably. And so that has already happened and they're trying to do it again. And Shelby's like, look, dude, you don't get it. Do you want to win or do you want to just play a game? Right. And the reason that you keep mentioning the 6,000 versus seven is BB says, keep it under 6,000 RPM. Mm -hmm. We want the cars to finish the race. We don't care about winning because our core value, his core value is appearance and reliability. 
we're going to cross the finish line. It's not going to be first because we're, but it, it's not like our cars aren't going to, we're not going to blow a rod or any of the other car jargon that happens that I don't know. Cause I'm not a car guy. We're going to make it. <laughs> and that was his whole thing. So when they go to the first Le Mans, have to be careful not to say Lamaz. That's breathing. <laughs> so when they go and they lose because of all the things Ken has told them, the gearboxes are hot. This other guy threw a rod. The cars didn't finish the race. So Ford calls in Shelby and says, tell me why I don't scrap this whole thing. Fire everyone starting with you. Because when we do have these setbacks, when we do have these failures, these that things that look awful, our tendency is to step out. This is the point where the uninitiated soil themselves. And he could have done that, but instead he reframes it and says, there's something to build on. Now, the good news, as I see it, is that even with all the extra weight, we still managed to put old Mr. Ferrari exactly where we want him. Did we? Oh, yes. Expand. Well, sure, we hadn't, we haven't worked out how to corner yet, or stay cool, or stay on the ground, and a lot of stuff broke. In fact, the only thing that didn't break was the brakes. Hell, right now, we don't even know if our paint job will last a whole 24 hours. But our last lap, we clocked 218 miles an hour down the Mulsanne Strait. Now, in all his years of racing, old Enzo ain't never seen anything move that fast. And now he knows, without a doubt, we're faster than he is, even with the wrong driver and all the committees. And that's what he's thinking about. He's sitting in Modena, Italy, Right now, that man is scared to death that this year you actually might be smart enough to start trusting me. So yeah, I'd say you got Ferrari exactly where you want him. You're welcome. See that little building down there? In World War II, three out of five U.S. bombers rolled off that line. You think Roosevelt beat Hitler? Think again. This isn't the first time Ford Motors has gone to war in Europe. We know how to do more than push paper. And there is one man running this company. You report to him. You understand me? Yes, sir. Go ahead, Carol. Go to war. Thank you, sir. Because when we're confronted with failure, then we, we have another question. It's all about our choices. But are we going to fold or are we going to fight? Henry Ford, he, the whole reason he started the racing program was because he tried to buy Ferrari. He tried to get ownership and they turned him down. And in the movie, they go with Fiat and it was a power play, but he was insulted. He's like, you're not your grandfather. Mm. You're Henry Ford the deuce. You're not the original. You're not the man he was. And he had to decide, am I going to fold or am I going to fight? And he's like, well, we're going to go to Le Mans. We're going to 
race and we're going to beat this some, we're going to beat those some bitches. <laughs> and in this scenario, that same thing happens. And Shelby says, we're just starting. We got them right where we want them because we did something he's never done. And he's scared that we're going to figure out how to do it. You know, we talked about that, the idea of goals being a linear progression that you're going to have setbacks. You're going to take wrong turns. You're going to do this. And you know, the benefit of taking a wrong turn is, well, that's not the right way, (laughs) but it is a war because we're, we're born into a world at war and the enemy would like for us to do nothing more than to shut it down. Say, I got nothing. You should fire me. I should quit because this is hard. I look like an idiot. Nobody really agrees with me. I'm going out on my own. They think I'm different. But it's something that he can't not do. Right? It's something that he has to do. It's a fire that's building in his bones. He was rescued for a reason. And his rescue was from the race car, something that he loved doing. But he never would have designed the race cars if his heart problem hadn't taken him out of the driver's seat. One of the things I love about that scene is kind of leading up to that. His answer is, you know, I was thinking about why you shouldn't fire me. You know, he, yeah. he says, I was thinking about that out there. While I was waiting. He said, and there was a little red folder. And I watched that little red folder change hands four times before it got to you. And he said, and this, we're on the 19th floor. I don't know how many times it changed hands just to get up to the 19th floor, 20 times or something. And his point was, is that you can't win a race by committee. You, you can't win a race with a committee. Like it's going to take some real commitment to this. And you're going to have to start trusting me. Like you're going to start trusting me. And that's when the guy said, you know, you've got to, do whatever you want. You got a blank check, whatever you do, whatever you want. And then they come back to, they're going to fire Ken again and yeah. B, and BB's manipulated the situation again, or right? they're going to, they're going to, and that's when he takes them on this ride. And he says, look, this is not a car that just anybody can drive. And then Shelby does something really interesting that I wanted to touch on. He bets it all on Ken. He bets his whole future in designing race cars on Ken and one race. He says, let Ken go to Daytona. And if he loses, you get everything. You get Shelby Automotive or whatever it was called. Like you get the whole company, the whole racing company that I've built. But if he wins, then he goes to Le Mans. He bets everything on his friend. And I loved that part. Again, I don't know if that really happened or not. Didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but for the tension of the movie and, and for right. our discussion, he knows that there's one guy who can possibly keep up with the dream that he has. There's one guy who knows the car. There's one guy who can do the perfect lap. There's one guy. And that's the guy. And I love that he bet it all on his friend, even though he knows his friend is not a people person. Like he, right. the, the dude threw a wrench at him. Like he knows <laughs> this guy is not a perfect person. This is also the guy that they have that he has a fight with because he goes back after they lose Lamont's the first time and he tries to get him back. And they have the little fight and and the, and the wife pulls up a lawn chair and it's just <laughs> watching it. 
and, and he calls it a fizzy pop. He's like, can you get me a fizzy pop? And she's like, Shelby, you want one no, too? No, don't no. get one for Shelby. Don't get one for Shelby. You can get his own. Uh, <laughs> and that was a really important part of it to me is that he believed they, they really did believe in each other. They knew he, the other one was committed to something beyond just staking out a claim to their own little kingdom. Like they were both chasing something um, that was important and they knew it was more important. And so I don't know if we can get to that, the perfect lap scene next, but that's what they were chasing. They were both chasing something that they, that was bigger than just the next marketing campaign. They were both chasing something really important to them. We'll go to this scene now. So they're getting ready. Ken wins Daytona because he broke the rules. They pushed the car past where, what BB told them to do. And because even in the moment, Ken knew the car. He's like, I know we're keeping it under 6,000, but I, I know she's got more. I know we can go faster. And I, and I wrote down because there's a time that we, we need to know when to take it easy and when we can punch it. Mm-hmm. And it's a balance. But in the only way that you really get to know it is through testing, through trials, through your initiation. Otherwise, this is where the uninitiated will soil themselves. <laughs> And so right before he goes to France, Ken sits down with his son, Peter, and he's showing him, hey, this is this is the mark. There's this crack in the pavement. This is my mark where I get ready to make the turn. And and Peter looks at him and he's like, you're you're going 150 miles an hour. How do you even see it? And so Ken starts giving him some some of those fatherly advice tidbits that always happen in movies like these. See that crack? That's my marker for turn eight. What, to slow down? Uh, brush the brakes and downshift. But you'll be going 150 miles an hour. Yeah. So how do you see it? You're going fast, but as the car speeds up, everything else slows down. You don't do that. You do this, right? And then you see everything. Do you set other markers? Indeed, I do. Lots of them. Yeah, because you can't just push the car hard the whole way, right? That's right. You have to be kind to the car. You feel the poor thing groaning underneath you. If you're going to push a piece of machinery to the limit and expect it to hold together, you have to have some sense of where that limit is. Look out there. Out there is the perfect lap. No mistakes. Every gear change, every corner. Perfect. You see it? I think so. Most people can't. Most people don't even know it's out there, but it is. And in that moment, he's talking about the car and you can't push a piece of machinery that fast and that hard and not expect it to break down. But really, for me, I'm thinking that he's talking about our hearts Mm. because over the last two years ish, it's been tough, right? You've got COVID, you've got 
the political stuff. You've got the racial tension stuff. Now, you know, recently we've got Afghanistan, we've got Haiti, we've got storms, we've got wildfires, and that's all global problems. Killer bees. Killer bees. <laughs> Cicadas. <laughs> and, and that's all like the worldwide international problems. That's not even touching on the stuff that we care most about, the stuff that's in our hearts, the stuff that, that matters most with our families and how we're doing and how we're navigating every day. And as he said, you've got to know when to ease off. You can't blast through. You can't have it pegged out at 8,000 RPMs for the whole race. But there's times to do it. And the only way you've got to be able to maintain it. And I think I see so many people out there. They have no margin. They have no space. They've, they've been pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And eventually it's going to break down. Your piston's going to fly out of your hood. And one of the questions that John Eldridge said a few months ago on the podcast, he was talking about, well, how's your heart? And you might, yeah, that's okay. Well, how will you react if the pandemic comes back? You know, if we have another COVID spike or if we go back into lockdown or if we have to go through what we just went through, if we have to go through it again mm. and universally, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine because we've at best, you might've tapped into your margin and at worst, you're already running on fumes and your car's about to explode. Mm. What I noticed about the race when he goes to Le Mans and I, and I want you to talk about when he was talking to his kid about pursuing the perfect lap, but the Ferraris all blew out. They couldn't stand the pressure that Ken put on them. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a matter of who was fastest. It was a matter of who could last. And part of that with our hearts is to me, what are we chasing? Because we have to realize that we can only chase the things we can control. Like this isn't, this is an important aspect of my life that I have had to learn. All right. And, and I've been through this recently. I create a lot of things in my life, right? <laughs> I, I make up stuff I want to create. I mean, I, I just, I keep doing it and I don't even know why. Because like, it's the most rejection you'll ever get in your life is to be a creator <laughs> of something. But when I was playing basketball, we called it the zone. We called it getting into the zone. Like there, there were moments when I played basketball, when I unconsciously and always knew the right thing to do. And I hit every shot and I was always in the right position and, and we called it the zone. And it didn't matter in that moment whether you were winning or losing. The joy was getting into the zone. That was the joy. That was where you were trying to go. Like as an athlete, you want to get there. Yes, you love winning and yes, and all that stuff. But in order to get in the zone, guess what I had to do? I had to jack up a lot of bricks. I had to jack up a lot of, I had to make a lot of wrong decisions too. I had to play a lot of basketball to get to the point where I could get into an unconscious zone as a, as, as a basketball player. And, and as a, that's all you can hope to get to. You can't, 
you can't guarantee a championship. You can't guarantee a whatever. All you can guarantee is I'm going to play my best. I'm going to do my best and I'm going to, I'm going to seek after the perfect lap, whatever that is, run the race that's in front of you. I'm going to run the race that's in front of me. And so here, here's an example of something recently, Uh, you know, I published a book and, and I'm getting into the publishing world. Like I'm actually getting books published, right? I've had to deal with my own heart and say, look, I cannot control how many books I sell. I mean, I can help to market and I can do interviews and I can do, you know, work at it. But you know what I can control? I can control making this book exactly what it's supposed to be. That's all I can control. And if I do that with everything I create, there are moments where you step back and the joy that you feel is, Maybe some people will like this and some, maybe some people won't, but I know that what I just created was what it's meant to be. And that's all I can do. I can, that's all I can do with a sermon. You know, if I, when I'm teaching on Sunday morning, like that's all I can do with a song that I, that I write. That's all I can do with, that's all I can do when I'm creating something. That's all I can control. That's why I love that part of the movie is because he's like, because he doesn't say, well, with a perfect lap, you'll win the race. What he says is, do you see that there's something out there that's actually attainable and it's bigger? And then in the movie, before he goes to France, before he goes to France and his son has drawn the Le Mans track, which only takes like three minutes, three or four minutes. And he's like, <laughs> you're going to be doing this for 24 hours. And, and, and his son says, but you can't. You can't have a perfect lap every time. Yeah. And his dad goes, but you can try. And I love that because what, what ends up happening is when he beats, uh, when, when he beats Ferrari, Ferrari craps out and they blow gaskets or whatever happens. Um, I'm also not the car guy. Uh, and, <laughs> and all that stuff happens. And he's told to slow down. He's told to slow down. Because BB again is like, slow down. This is what we want. This is for the good of the company. Yada, yada, yada. It looks so awesome to have three Fords. This act, that actually happened. Right. And so Shelby tells Ken, this is what they want. But I'm telling you, you're the driver. You do whatever you want. You've earned this. You you do whatever you want. And and Ken actually does a perfect lap. I, I I love that. Again, I don't know how true all of that is, but I love that part of the movie because because he's like, he, he does the perfect lap. And, and I love the way in the movie, he talks to the car and he talks to the other yeah. drivers. Like, even though they can't hear him, he's like, come on, baby. Oh, that's good. And he's talking to <laughs> he, It's like, he's, he's having this conversation with the car. And I love how, since Shelby has been where he's been, Shelby's like, wait, wait now. Like he knows that too. He knows the same pursuit and, and he, and that's where their hearts are connected. And it was after he gets the perfect lap that he he's crying because he, he won. He, even though he didn't cross the finish line, the joy in him was with that, that he actually achieved the perfect lap that he, that he fulfilled his purpose. And then after he did that, now he was willing to slow down and play the game. 
Now he's like, I, now I can play the game because it doesn't actually matter if I won or lost. I did. I already won. In his mind, he was he won because the winning wasn't dependent upon anybody else. It was just dependent upon doing what he was supposed to do. And Jesus is like that. Jesus says, look, I, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear him say. I'm here to do my, his will, not mine. Like, like we have to realize, like, I cannot control whether people love or hate the truth. I can't, Jesus even said, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Like, even he knew, like my, he didn't have any sort of like contingency plan about whether people were going to follow him or not. He just said, all I can do is do what I'm supposed to do and, and be okay with that. Be be content with that. And I think that is one of the most important lessons to learn for people. When you're following God, like he's got stuff for you to do, risks for you to take. And there's no guarantee it's going to work out to be worldly successful like you might want it to. But if you obey and you do what you're supposed to do and you do it to the best of your ability and you find that zone, you've already won. That's it. That's it. That's all you got. That's all you can control and just be content with that. And that's why I love that part of the movie. And I just, again, keep going back to this idea of being rescued for a reason, but you're never going to know that reason. If you've got your, your pedal, the pedal to the metal all the time, right? Like if you're running a race like this one, you have to, there's times when you do floor it and you go 200 something miles an hour. There's times that you have to stop and break and turn and corner. And if you're going too fast, you'll fly off the track. And there's times that you have to take a pit stop. You have to refuel. You have to rest. And I think it's important because you can miss right. your purpose. You can miss your reason because you're too busy running a race that's not yours to run. Run your race. I can't run Brit's race. Brit can't run my race. Right. Whoever it is that you compare yourself to, you're not running their race. You're running oh. your race. Yeah. And you have to run it your race at God's pace, <laughs> you, you, not your pace. Like uh, Ken said at the beginning, I'm too old. My time is past. That's not up to him. No. God's the one in control. God's the one with the pace. Yeah. I just want to connect it back to what you said about the heart, because it is about the heart. Like if we want our heart to be good, we have to have the right goals. We have to have the right mindset and the right goals because what happens is our heart isn't okay because my expectations were on things I couldn't control. We're on things that weren't up to me. And now all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, you're saying I'm comparing myself or I didn't sell as many books as this guy, or I didn't sell many, as many books as I didn't make enough money on this, or I didn't get the job or I didn't. And, and that's not, God's not, that that's not what God determines as your success or failure. And we have to reimagine, especially as Christians, we have to reimagine what success is. We have to reimagine what that is and that will heal our hearts. I'm so I'm, that's what I'm saying. That heals my heart because now I can still love a person because I'm not in competition with them. Like you're saying, like I'm not in competition with them. I just have to do what I'm called to do. And I'm promised that God will reward me now and later. I'm promised. It's a guarantee. All I have to do is do what I'm called to do. And maybe I'll be alone in the wilderness and being fed by ravens and no one will ever know <laughs> that I did it. But God knows. 
And that has to be enough for us. That has to be enough. And it is enough. That's my point is it is enough. And it's when we start adding these other goals and these other expectations that, that our heart becomes not okay, that our soul is disrupted in a way that's not peace. It's not the peace and the joy. The kingdom of God isn't in external things. It's not in food and drink. The kingdom of God is hope and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's where it is. And you have it. Just, just believe it. Just reimagine what success really is. It's have that same mindset that Jesus had, who considered the joy to get him through the suffering, get him through the sorrow, get him through the cross yeah. for the joy set before him. Yeah. And that's what he says. Have this mindset in you that was in Jesus. Yeah. Cause that's, we got to shift the way that we think. We can't it. think like we've always thought. Not if we want a different outcome. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'll give another Jesus example. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, right. And there's this great conversation. If you just look at the outcome, Jesus looked like a failure. Right. He says, sell all you have. He didn't recruit him. He, 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 he didn't recruit him. And, and, and the Bible says he loved him and was, was sorrowful. He, he loved the guy. Like his attempt was a, an attempt of love, but he said what he was supposed to say. He gave the truth he was supposed to give the, that guy's choice was on him. And it's also what Ezekiel is told. Ezekiel is told, look, you have to say what I'm telling you to say. If you don't, then it's on you. But if you do and people reject you and they will, it's not about you. It's on them. And, and, and that's, that's, that's a place of joy. And it's hard because everything in our life says stay at 6,000, right? If we want to go back to that, everything in our life says, don't get there. Don't comfort, you know, safety, comfort safety, play the game, whatever. Um, but I'm telling you, uh, it's, it's such an important thing to have that. I'm just going to do father. What do you want me to do today? You're the standard. You're the, cause, cause God's going to go rest. <laughs> I mean, that's what God's going to do. Like, I just love you. Just right. let's just hang out today. Like, and sometimes God will be like, no, you got to be brave. Like Shelby does at the end of the movie, which is a totally other, you know, conversation, but he goes and visits in grief because, you know, Ken dies, spoiler alert. And he goes to visit and he's got to be brave. And you can see there's a, it's a whole nother kind of bravery, right? To step out right. and talk to the son and because he feels responsible and there's grief and it's awkward. But that's, that's my point is that sometimes God will say, no, you got to do these awkward, uncomfortable things too, right? Because that's how we are initiated. Yeah. yeah. So that we don't soil ourselves <laughs> when the... Even if we do. When the moment comes. Yeah. Yeah. And even when he, we're still loved. Yeah, he's still. Because <laughs> not every lap's going to be the perfect nope. lap. But the fact that we're still running, we're still trying, and we're still pursuing that is what matters most. Amen. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Paul McDonald and Britt Mooney talking about Ford versus Ferrari. Go check it out. It's on HBO Max. That's how I watch yep, it. Yeah, me too. So I always like not having to. I guess pay. I pay $10 a month for it. So it's whatever. Uh, but if you want a better use of your $10 a month, visit our Patreon <laughs> site. <laughs> you can uh, support us, support what we're doing. Uh, that's patreon.com backslash men at the movies. Uh, we've got, we'll have some merch. We'll have some 
opportunities to do visit our live stream where you can actually watch us on video as we record this and make comments and ask questions and and you might even get invited on the podcast. Also, if uh, you want to check out our website, menatthemovies.com backslash podcasts, and we've got all the backlog of 40-something episodes. We've got our anniversary episode coming up. It's going to be a surprise, but it's going to be, it's, it's one of the great ones. And I'm, we're going to try to have a live recording with me, Britt, Patrick, and Ricky. Yeah, man. And uh, all sitting around and recording and hanging out, and we'll try to keep it under three hours. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want more information, like I said, visit our website. We've got resources. We've got links to stuff. We've got quotes and questions because a lot of times these movies, as we're watching these movies, questions arise of, you know, like this one is, how do I face criticism how do i face failure do i fold or do i fight mm. and so well, there's a lot more questions if you wanted to dig deeper so i hope you enjoyed it and i hope you join us next week here on the men at the movies podcast something inside has been awakened i can no longer be who i was before but if i am no longer who i was who am i to be